Now, I'm going to read tonight a little bit, I'm going I'm to take off a little bit of a bigger section tonight than, than I would have. I, as I was studying and preparing this this week, uh, it became evident that, that this, this all ties together as obviously all scripture does, but I think sometimes we, we struggle to step back and see the big idea of something if we get too caught down in the individual verses or words. In fact, next week I intend to do the entire chapter, chapter 3. I think they all fit together real well. But uh, tonight I want to begin my reading in chapter 2 and verse number 14. Chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, no time for foolish talk. No time for foolish talk. As I began to look through this passage, it began to really rise to the surface how much all throughout this passage, God speaks to foolish speaking. My wife just finished a book today called The War of Words, and I just started the book myself, and I plan to do a series on that book, on what the Bible says about our words coming up in the spring. And it's quite shocking, honestly, about how frivolous sometimes we are about the way that we speak, how careless sometimes we are about what we talk about, what we debate about, what we argue about, what we what we let become important, how we treat other people, all this is 
really in this passage as a warning specifically, <coughs> specifically to Timothy the preacher. And of course, all Christians are accountable and responsible for the words that they say. And Jesus said on one occasion, every idle word that a man speaks, he'll give an account of in the day of judgment. Uh, uh, James chapter 3 says, my brethren, let not, let, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So while all Christians are responsible to consider what they say, because they're ultimately going to give an account for what they say, those of us who have a position of influence, teaching, leading other people, are all the more accountable for what they say. And really, the point that Paul is getting at with Timothy here is simply this. You need to spend your life teaching and speaking those things that benefit the kingdom of God. And you need to avoid spending your time debating and talking about things, uh, complaining about things, arguing about things that really on the bigger scale of eternity have relatively little or no importance and worst of all, uh, can become very sinful in the way that they are handled. So let's, let's just look at what Paul tells Timothy here. First of all, by noticing the pointless tactic of arguments and debates. The pointless tactic of arguments and debates. Somebody has once said that it is better for you to win a relationship than win an argument. I mean, how many of you understand that very little good ever comes out of a debate and very little comes good comes out of an argument? You can, you can watch debates. I've seen debates online. I've seen theological people debate. And you know what? One thing that happens in a theological debate is the, the, theolo the, 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 the two people that are debating in theology never convince the other person of what they're arguing about. The very fact of the matter is, if we are not careful, our words and our conversations will become little more than a battleground upon which to fight. And nobody wins a war when you're fighting a war that nobody can win. Look at what he says again in verse number 14. He says, charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. Now just stop and think about that for just a second. He says, this is a, this is a battle, this is a war that nobody can win. Uh, it, there's no profit in it whatsoever. And I have to be really careful of this. I, I kind of, you know, this is going to show my, my sinful nature big time, but I, I mean, you know it by now anyway. So um, I, I actually, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sinful way, kind of like it. And, and I, I shouldn't, okay? I'm not saying I should. I did not say that was a good quality, okay? I'm just saying there's something about me. When I see somebody saying something that's wrong, when I see somebody that's uh, uh, propagating something that's not true or preaching something that's not, you know, right or whatever the case may be, there's a part of me that wants to get into it with them. And the Lord being my helper after studying this passage, I got to tell you, he's done a work in my life in this thing. And I've just decided I don't care if it's social media. I don't care if it's personal interaction. I don't care if it's uh, sitting down at coffee with somebody. I am not going to argue and debate with people because you never win an argument or debate with somebody. You just, you just don't win it. There's no point in it, particularly when you're talking about things like Paul is talking about here. 
He's talking about getting into conversations, arguments, discussions with people about things that really are, are he, calls, he calls them ignorant. He calls them, uh, he calls it idle babblings. He calls it profanity, which means um, a conversation that doesn't center around God. He's not talking about standing up for truth and, and, and teaching things that are plain in the Bible. He's talking about a lot of things that stand on the outside of the Bible. A lot of things that frankly just aren't clear in the Bible. And here's the bottom line. Uh, th there are no doubt people in this room I, uh, and, and in the other room I've had conversations with people. Believe it or not, there are people that go to our church uh, that don't believe the six literal days of creation. And you want to know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to argue with them about it. Because here's the bottom line. I believe it. I believe it strongly. But the fact of the matter is it sets on the fringe of things that really, really actually matter. You, you can have a different opinion on creation. You can't have a different opinion on Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying that creation is not important. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying you could take that as one example. Somebody who actually believes the Bible, loves the Lord, loves the gospel, and has a slightly different opinion on something like that. He can have an opinion like that. I can have a sound opinion on it, in my opinion. But what I do not want to do is spend my life endlessly debating and arguing over something that, first of all, I can't win because the person's already convinced of it anyways. And secondly, it adds no value to the kingdom whatsoever to do that. And so he says here, you can debate and argue, but the fact is there will be no point. I don't know about you. I don't want to get to the end of anything that I do in life and say, what was the point of that? Is this how anybody wants to live their life in any way? Anything. Take anything that you do. My job, my family, raising my kids, spending my money, uh, uh, serving the Lord in church. Get to the end of my life and ask, what was the point of all that? It sounds like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we don't want to live like that. We don't want to be like that. So one way you can sure avoid living a pointless life is not getting involved with endless debates with people about things that do not matter. Not only... Do we find that it is a war that you cannot win? But the second thing you find out about this war is this. It is a war that ruins the bystanders. Okay, now, now look at this at the end of verse number uh, 14 again. It says, to the ruin of the hearers. The word ruin uh, in Greek is catastrophic is what it means. David Guzik says, the stakes are high. If we take our focus off the message of God and put the focus on human opinions and endless debates, it will result in the ruin of the hearers. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if we're spending our time debating and discussing things that aren't in the Bible, guess what that means? That means the Bible's not being heard. And so I think that's what Paul's really getting at here. Paul is telling us, that people should be hearing the word of God. And when they don't hear the word of God, but rather they hear our endless debates, they end up being destroyed ultimately because they do not hear the truth. I heard a story in the Battle of Trafalgar where Admiral Nelson came to two of his officers on his own ship and they were arguing one with another about some military tactic or whatever the case may be. And he jumped in the middle of them and he grabbed them by the sleeves and he told them to stop and then he took his finger and he pointed it across the water and said, the enemy's over there. 
I think that's exactly how God would want us to view the same thing. Your enemy is not inside the church. Your enemy is not another believer. Your enemy is not some person that sees something just a little bit different than you do. And so you feel like you have to get into it with them and debate them. We see it all the time. I got to tell you, it just, it, it honestly disturbs me as deep as it can disturb me to watch pastors and Christian leaders just, just saw each other in half all the time. I mean, I mean you, would, you would almost think by reading some of the posts that you see that people actually almost rejoice when people fall. That's not really a Christian way to do it. I mean, just imagine. Just imagine what an unsafe person, the hearer, would think about watching this bloodbath sometimes of Christians just attacking and viciously going after one another and always fighting one another. The fact of the matter is, no one can win this battle, and, and, and what makes matters worse is the one who needs it most will definitely lose. So, your, your words can become a battlefield. Number two, there are some words that should be avoided altogether. I'm telling you, there are some things that just shouldn't be talked about among those people that know the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 16. But shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. What are the two things that Paul says here you should avoid in conversation? The first one is you should, <coughs> you should avoid profanity. Now, now please, please don't, don't get confused. That, that, that I'm not, when I say profanity right now, I'm not, I'm not talking about what you're thinking about when you think about profanity. Now, I'm not advocating that you speak profanity as you know it, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But I am saying that the word profane here doesn't mean like a cuss word, okay? The actual word profane uh, has the idea of the threshold of a temple. Uh, and, and more than likely what this word means, it, mean, it refers to something that was considered to be not sacred and therefore not allowed in the temple. Uh, you see this word used over in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, when it says Esau sold his birthright. And then he went out and he got bitter in his heart. And the Bible says he became a profane man who got involved with adultery and all kinds of immorality. The word profane is used there of him. And basically what the word profane means is it means godless. It means something that should not or does not have a place in the presence of God. I gotta tell you, don't you think that is a pretty good way to evaluate um, what we talk about or how we talk about things? Is this something that would be appropriate conversation in the presence of God? And I think sometimes if we really zeroed in on that, I, I really think it would change the way that we talked. I really do. I think it would change the conversations that we had. I think it would change things like gossip, things like slander, things like backbiting, things like just pointless, empty, evil intentions, speaking ill about people and situations. I think if we really believed that our speech was to be an offering accepted by God, it would change the way that we talked. And then he talks about empty chatter. He says that at the, uh, the middle of verse 16, he says, uh, idle babbling, idle babbling. It's a conversation with no point. It's just talking. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 12 when he says every idle word. Now, now, let's just think about this for a second. 
When you think about your conversations in the 21st century and the way that Christians communicate, you have to think a whole lot broader than just conversations you have with people. I mean, things have changed, haven't they? I mean, your, your fingertips can be used for the same thing that your tongue is used for, right? And how much empty, vain conversation happens through Facebook, through messaging, through texting, through emails. It's almost like sometimes we forget that that's conversation too. And, 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 and I gotta tell you, I, I'm so thankful for the new iPhone, the new iPhones that, that when you scroll to, I think it's to the right, you swipe over the right, it, 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 it just, every day you can look at it and you can see what you're spending your time doing. I mean, it just, it just like sticks it right in your face every day. It just tells you, you've been on your phone for three hours, you've been on Facebook for an hour and a half, you've been on Twitter for 23 minutes, you've been on email for 15 minutes. I don't know about you, that makes me feel pretty lousy every day of my life. And it's just, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's this constant reminder to me, get off of it. In fact, um, as you know, I've been, we've been going through some things of transitions in, in our personal lives and so on and so forth. And, and, and as of this coming week, I, we, will, we will not be on any social media whatsoever. Now, I will post, okay? I will post through people that will post for me. Uh, and I mean, I'll give them the message, but I'm not looking at it. I, I, don't, I have no interest in it. I have discovered for me, and I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not trying to establish a standard. I'm not trying to tell everybody what to do. I'm just telling you that for me, it's a danger zone. For me, it's a time waster. For me, it's idle babbling. For me, it has a great deal of no point to it. And so I, the best thing for me to do is if I know something that's got me trapped, if I know something that, that is, is consuming me and something that, that I can be tempted to breach what this text teaches me, then I'm just going to back away from it. Now, you got to take that and apply that however you want to apply it. But let me, let, me, let me help you with something. Most of us could use an adjustment in how we talk. Most of us could. Most of us could tweak something, could, could alter something. And, and I'm telling you, if you want to challenge, just, just go ahead and pick up that book that I referenced, War of Words by Paul Tripp. Go ahead and read it. Go ahead and kind of get yourself braced for it, okay? Because we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it with the teenagers. We're going to talk about it with the adults. We're going to take, take the whole church through it this spring. It's, it's critical. And it's interesting how it just dovetails with this, with this sermon tonight that happened to be predominantly about speaking, arguing, debating, and empty chatter. He goes on in verse 23, and he, and he picks up on it again. Look at verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I had a friend of mine <laughs> message me the other day, and he, he, he screenshotted something that I had said on, on social media. And he picked it, picked it apart and he said, I want to I talk to you specifically about this word. And right in the middle of me studying this passage, and I've just decided I'm not responding. Because all it's going to be is a conversation that's going to end up in a debate about something that will only lead to strife and dispute. If I know that I'm about to be in a conversation and the only outcome of this conversation is going to be an argument and it's going to be strife. Let me tell you what to do. Don't engage in the argument. You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm interested in theological study and I think if I just throw the right thing out there and say the right thing, I might be able to really encourage that. I do not know one person 
In fact, there is no person who gets saved from apologetics or theological defense. It may aid them in getting saved, but you only get saved through Christ. And most of the time, with, with rare exception, these debates do nothing more than just stir up strife. And we got to be careful of this. This world out here, you know, the world out here that doesn't know Christ, these people do not care about the finer points of our theological persuasions. The fact is, they wouldn't care if this was a Lutheran church or a Baptist church because they don't know the difference. And half the people probably that come to church here don't know the difference. And they don't care whether we wear ties on Sunday or don't wear ties on Sunday. They don't care whether we use a drum when we sing or we don't use a drum when they sing. They frankly could care less what Bible we use because they don't even have one. And, and the church, if we're not careful, gets caught up in arguments, debates, and disputes that do nothing profitable for the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing Paul tells us to do. He says, you need to beware of the pointless tactic of arguments and debates. The second thing that Paul tells us to do in this passage is that we are to have a proper attitude as God's servant. There's three different things that Paul tells Timothy to do. He's already told him, here's what I don't want you to do. And, and kind of the way this passage lays out, it's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a cycle. He says, here's what you shouldn't do, here's what you should do, and here's the effect upon what you do. Here's what you shouldn't do, here's what you should do, and here's the effect that whatever you choose to do has on other people. So let's look at the second thing. What does he tell Paul or Timothy that he is supposed to do? Well, the first thing he tells Timothy he's supposed to do is he is to give his best effort to the proper interpretation of the scripture. Look, if you will, at verse number 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This verse tells me that a pastor, a teacher, is to exert effort to make sure that he properly explains and applies the Bible to his people. Now, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, and this just reinforces what I was saying on Sunday. Pastors are to give themselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's our job. And this text tells me how to do my job. How do I do my job? I do my job by giving every effort, that's the word diligence, be diligent. It means literally, it means to give careful attention to, to give maximum effort. It means to do your best, spare no effort, and be eager. Exert yourself. It means to be willing to do what you do correctly and do it with every bit of who you are. How many of you have ever heard of, uh, of, the, of the old um, writer named Oswald Chambers, who wrote a, a series of devotionals. Anybody remember that? Remember what they're called? What are they called? Anybody? My utmost for his highest. That's what this word means. My utmost. That means my everything. I'm giving my everything for him. So the first call that a pastor has is to give his predominant attention to the accurate dividing of the word of God. And guys, listen, you may, have, you may have left here Sunday going, you mean tell me all that preacher thinks he's supposed to do is preach the Bible. And I'll tell you again, yes, that's all that preacher is supposed to do is preach the Bible. They do call me preacher. <laughs> I mean, like, if you're an electrician, I would be thinking, 
All you do is electricity. You know, you know, Oren back there, he's a, he's a, he's a lawn care guy. He's, he, all he does is lawn care. That's all he does. Yeah, well, all I really do is study the Bible. Now, lest you're tempted to think that that is not a big deal or a hard deal, notice a little word in the middle of the verse, a workman. Okay? And then read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 that says, if a, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Work. I am here to tell you, not that I'm trying to defend myself, just teaching the Bible. It is work. It is a good work. It is an intense work. It is a labor work. To put in the time and effort to study the Bible, to feed the sheep of God. This is the pastor's primary goal. I am not trying to convince goats. I'm trying to feed sheep. You know, people, people, people I, you know, I saw a text from somebody before church today. Somebody's, somebody's all frustrated about something. I have no time. I have only time to study the Bible and feed the sheep. I do not have time to go over here to the goat petting zoo and try to keep everybody happy with a handful of carrots. Okay, that's not my job. My job is to feed out the Bible every time we come together to worship so that you can understand God. You can know what God wants for your life. You can know what God's word says, and we can together grow in our relationship with God. And what, I love this phrase here. He says, he says, uh, Rightly dividing the word of truth. The pastor's job, the preacher or teacher's job is so important because what he is doing, he has the responsibility to rightly divide. And that, that word literally means make a straight cut. Cut it straight. So when a pastor teaches the Bible, he's supposed to be accurately marking out and explaining carefully what the Bible means. The Bible is not to be mishandled. <coughs> God is not to be misquoted. And I have a position as a pastor when I stand up to preach to say, this is what God is saying. Not what Brian is saying. And, and if I'm up here saying, this is what God is saying, then guess what? It better be what God is saying. And, and, and listen, there are there are great disservices done to the Bible in the name of God. People that will say things, propagate things, even teach things, and when you really look at it, it's just not what the Bible's talking about. Let me give you a great example, okay? When, years ago, I was teaching a preaching class at a college, and this kid uh, in my class got up and preached from 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, okay? And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, there's a verse in there that says, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay, I can't remember what verse it is. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's verse number 18 or something. And he, man, and this kid goes off. I'm telling you, if we preach, we should live what we preach. We, I mean, look, don't preach one thing and live another. And he just, I mean, he just went off. The only problem was, that is not what that's talking about. If you read 1 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter is about pastors receiving compensation for the work that they do. You know, read, go read it for yourself. Pastor talks about how, I mean, Paul talks about how Old Testament priests lived off of the priesthood. He talks about how farmers live off the farm. And then, and then, and then, and then he even says to them, you know what? Uh, I could have gotten money from the church of Corinth, but I didn't. It was my own choice. And then he makes this argument, people that preach the gospel should make their living of the gospel. 
And that's what the verse actually says. They that preach the gospel should live, here's the key word, of the gospel. And I stood up and I said, man, look, I appreciate it. I appreciate the fervency. I appreciate the intensity. I appreciate how hard you worked on this. But here's the problem. You didn't preach what the Bible said. Now, guys, listen, that's why when you come to church, I love seeing all these Bibles out on your lap because that's representative of the fact that when we open the Bible, we should all open it together. We should be looking at it together. We should be studying it together. It's important that you're a Berean Christian like Acts 17, that when the preachers are teaching, your Bible is open and you're, you're reading and carefully thinking. Look, I tell you, man, the most dangerous thing in the world is a pastor who reads the Bible and says, all right, shut your Bible, look up here. I don't want you to look up here. I want you to look there. This is the job of a teacher. Don't focus on things out here that don't matter. Focus on a properly interpreting the scriptures. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is the pastors and Christian leaders should give themselves to be honorable vessels. <coughs> now look at what he says here in verse number 20. But in a great house, <coughs> there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if any man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, Paul has just, back in verse 17, given an example of how vain conversation ruined a couple of men. He names them here, uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And this is interesting. Look at the, uh, in the first part of Hymenaeus, the word Hymenaeus, just those first three letters there. It looks like the word him, doesn't it? You know, actually in Greek, the root word of this guy's name, Hymenaeus, means the one who sings. And if you look over here at Philetus, now some of you might know this if you've ever studied Greek. There's a Greek word there that most people know. It's also the word from which we get the word Philadelphia. Philetus, it means love, the one who loves. So, so this is a sad story, right? Here was the man who was a singer, and here's the man who was a lover. And all this vain talk knocked them out of serving the Lord. Now, you'd be tempted to think, well, that's, <coughs> that's terrible. But Paul is going to remind Timothy here that you can't fear or worry about stuff like that, just like he did back in chapter 1 when he talked about the other men that had went astray. Just because some have gone astray, that doesn't mean everybody's going to go astray. And he, then, he, then he mentions it here at the end of, 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 chapter, uh, of verse number 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. So there's an assurance here that, yes, there are some people that are going to fall away. There are some people that are going to be useless for the Lord's work. Yet, yet, God knows who are his. Okay, and then he uses the story of the house with the different vessels. Now, this is, this is probably a little bit more familiar to some of you that are older, okay, in the room. Any of you older folks, I said older, not old. Any of you older folks have more than one set of dishes in your house, okay? Like my grandma, Kathy, you got about 10 there, something like that, okay. Um, my grandma had what I think they called a china cabinet. If I, I, I think that's what they call it. I get a lot. I'm getting a lot of. I'm getting a lot of verification here. Um, and like it just sat in the dining room and was never used until Christmas. 
And then at Christmas, she would like open it up, bring it all out. And I just, well, one thing I remember is that that was, there was a special way they cared for them and washed them. They only used them like one time a year and then they put them all back up in the china cabinet again. That is vessel of honor, okay? Special, useful in a specific purpose. And then there's life for the rest of us, okay? <clears throat> and like when we have a bunch of teenagers over our house all the time or kids will come over and they'll go swimming and stuff. Do you think we use our nice dishes when the kids come over to play? No, no, what do we do? Paper plates, that's exactly right. And what do we do with the paper plates? We just discard them, okay? They're of little value, okay? They're, 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 that's exactly what scripture is talking about here. Some vessels are not valuable. They're not, they're not usable. And Paul is saying here, this is why what we say is so important. This is why carefully giving attention to scripture is so important because it's going to produce, with, watch this, within the church, some vessels to honor and some to dishonor. And so what is our job? We want to see vessels to honor. We want to see people that are listening to scripture, their lives are being shaped by the word, and therefore they are being transformed into useful vessels for the Lord. And so number one, he says, I want you to stay focused on teaching the scriptures accurately. Number two, I want you to focus on being an honorable vessel. And number three, I want you to give yourself to patient and faithful teaching and correcting. And I got to tell you, this verse is the verse that I'm meditating on most this, this week. And I'm just trying to memorize it and really focus on, look at verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. But be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. <laughs> this is tough. Now, <clears throat> I want to I point something out here. This is not a call to a soft personality. Okay, I can't change that about me. Okay, I don't, I don't have one of those. You may be tempted to think, well, really the only guys that, the only guys really that should be leading or pastoring are people that are, you know, more mild and patient and calm and, and that sort of thing. But I want you to know something here, very interesting that's in this verse. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So it's one thing to be peaceful at times of peace. It's another thing to be peaceful when you are opposed. So, yeah, a person can be a more laid-back person, like the difference between me and Aaron, okay? Aaron is quiet. Aaron is very calculated. He doesn't speak very often. In fact, there are many times in meetings he doesn't say anything at all. Sometimes I'll have to ask him. <coughs> in fact, when I want to know, when I want a good opinion on something, I'll ask Aaron because Aaron doesn't talk much. He's quiet. So you're not going to see him respond. Okay, this is not saying Brian's big personality is worse than Aaron's peaceful personality. It is saying what do you do when you are stood against when somebody's trying to quarrel with you, when somebody's trying to oppose you? What comes out of you whenever that happens? That's how you know if you're walking in the Spirit. And I want to be the kind of person, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I want to respond in humility and peacefulness and quietness 
and gentleness because I'm not going to fight about it. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. See, your personality can make you peaceful and calm and quiet, but only Christ can make you gentle in opposition. And that's what he's talking about here. The pastor or the leaders have got to be under such control, they're going to be opposed. Guys, listen, let me encourage you about something. Look, never expect that there will not be trouble in any church that you're involved with, ever, ever. It's never going to happen. Look how fast this stuff is happening in the first century church. You would think these people didn't, you would think this was like the golden era of the church, like there was not a problem. Are you kidding me? Within weeks of the very first church starting, Act 6 happened. Read Galatians. I marvel that you so soon turned away from the gospel. This is happening quickly. It happens everywhere. So the issue is not, will there be opposition? Will there be people that stand against people? Will there be troublemakers? Will there be theological problems that people will bring up? Will people just be flat carnal pain in the rear? Yes. Yes. All the time. The issue is, how do you respond to it when it happens? That's what the Lord showed me in that verse, because that's a powerful call for any Christian leader. And then then the final thing that the text shows us is that there is a potential effect upon those who stray. Okay, so if you argue with people, We've already learned what they're going to do. It's going to have a negative effect. It's going to turn people away like Hymenaeus and Philetus. But what if you respond properly? What if you stick to teaching the Bible and not getting all worked up and angry and fussy and all those sort of things with people? What could happen? Look at verse number 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Watch this. If God perhaps will grant them repentance now I love that little word perhaps never think that just because you respond correctly it automatically means somebody else is going to respond correctly back to you but there's at least a chance now if you argue with people fight with people, raise your voice get angry, throw stuff get on social media and act like a fool whatever you do you're never going to win you can't win there's no point but if you do it right there's at least a chance there's at least a chance that they could turn around and look at what it says so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses listen man people that are fighters in church people that are always angry people who are divisive listen to me very carefully they're out of their minds They're out of their minds. And and let let me tell you something, friend. Let me just encourage you about this. And I'm thankful the spirit is not here. But you are never more like the devil than when you divide and accuse and try to harm people. You're never more like the devil when you do that. And he's saying here, if we patiently love, teach the scriptures, it's possible somebody may actually wake up and escape the snare of the devil. Not only are they out of their minds, they're in a trap. They've been taken captive by the devil and they're operating under his authority. 
Guys, this is not the kind of company that you want to keep. This is not where we want to be. And strife and division and lying and manipulation, this is all the work of the devil. And here's what Paul's saying. Don't get in the ring with him. I like what one old boy said. He said, a bulldog could whip a skunk any day, but it ain't worth it. Some things are just not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know what that means? And I got to tell you, I've been pastoring long enough, and I know pastors. I mean, I talk to them all the time. I was, with a, I was with a pastor yesterday. I mean, after a revival service on Monday night, okay, I preached in Texas last two nights. Monday night, I preach, get done. I couldn't find the pastor. So I was like, whatever. I, mean, I don't need him. I'll just go to, go to my room. And I walked by his office. And I, knew, I could tell I could hear him. He was in his office. So I hadn't heard from him. It's like an hour and a half later. So I text him, hey, man, what's going on? You good? He's like, with a family, dot, dot, dot. Oh, great. That's good. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm sure this is going well. I'm sure, I'm sure this is I love my pastor night. Yeah, I'm sure that's what this is. Oh, no. Oh, no. There was one little thing that happened in the service, and they, that's what they did. <laughs> it, it, it really bothers me. It's, and it's not just one person. It's consistent. And that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that just makes the devil so happy. And, and we, need to, we need to realize that we should be on the same team. Okay, That's what we should be. And when we love one another, we're patient with one another, we're focused on the scripture, we're not getting into any debates or arguments, we just show the love of Christ, um, we have a better chance of winning people over doing it the Lord's way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We pray that you will use the study to continue to teach us <coughs> and to show us, Lord, how we should respond, how we should be, how we should love, how we should, how we should be filled with your spirit. Lord, your word says the tongue no man can tame. And only you can control our spirit and control our words. So Lord, help us as we go through the week. Be with the funeral coming up on Saturday. May we be an encouragement to Miss Lucy. Meet the needs that are represented there. And uh, bring us uh, back safely on your day on Sunday. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.